launched the seed as a monthly fireside chat with trailblazing founders, hosted by First Check Africa on Twitter Spaces. A launch to seed is intended to inspire and share insights from the founder's journey with First Check Africa's online community and audience. And of course, we know every founder is different and every story is different. And so we always want to look here about the different perspectives that led them to where they are today. My name is Ozzy and I will be hosting this conversation. I currently work in corporate communications, PR and brand strategy. I have worked in various fields across tech industry from e-commerce to edutech to fintech. Currently, I lead communications and PR for MasterCard for East and West African markets. So just to set the tone of the conversation, the conversation was going to last an hour. We're going to spend the first 45 minutes sort of deep diving into Yvonne's story and the next 15 minutes would sort of give everyone a chance to ask her any questions. So this is a mini Q&A session. We encourage questions from fellow founders, soon-to-be or want-to-be founders, investors, people in tech, and so on. You know, we don't want to spend a lot of time asking sort of customer questions or things that are related to the conversation, which is really about your journey as a founder. House rules, of course. One question per person. If you come up, please meet your mic after you've asked the question. You know, make your question very clear and direct, and please be respectful. That goes without saying. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our first guest, I, well, our guest today, our second guest, actually. Her name is Yvonne Johnson of Indicina. I hope I said that right. And yes, yes, yes. Okay, great. <laughs> Hi, Yvonne. And so Yvonne Hi. is the CEO and co-founder of Indicina, and I'm going to let her describe what her company does. Thank you so much. Really excited to be here. Big fan of this fireside and the work that uh, Prospect is doing. Just jumping right in, essentially what Indicina does, uh, one-liner, is we're building API-driven credit infrastructure. The problem we're solving is really the absence of digital financial analytics, that layer that's required for consumer credit, but of personal finance management. So we play in the fintech infrastructure segment. Okay, thank you. Before we jump into the details of everything you do with your company, I just want to learn just a little bit more about you. Can you just tell us just a bit about your background? You know, where did you go to school? Where did you study? You know, just sort of what led you to where you are today? Just a bit of your background. Sure, 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 sure. Before I started in Indicina, I led the strategy team of First Bank. And my portfolio covered all of the Africa businesses, both bank and non-bank. But my first degree is computer science. I actually started as a software engineer, and after an MBA, I moved into financial services. Initially, I was doing investment banking in New York, and then moved back home kind of 2009 to join First Bank. They had just gotten a new MBA, and there was a audacious plan to turn around the bank, and I joined the strategy team. So that's a bit of what my background just kind of covers technology and a lot of your know, financial services. And so when you worked on the strategy team at First Bank, did you sort of just put aside all your software engineering and all that sort of technology and you were just focused on strategy? Yeah, I mean, I've long since stopped coding at that point in time. And even now, my team doesn't believe that I've ever written a line of code. But I studied computer science at the University of Toronto. And by the time, and I did that for a bit, I did the software engineering for a bit. But I really started getting curious on the business side, why we developed in the software, whose life is it impacted. And so I started moving towards you know, kind of more business development. And then, of course, made a decision to go to a business school. So by the time I went into business school, I had long since, you know, stopped, you know, coding, but still had an appreciation of technology and the power of technology to drive solutions. Okay, and I know your experience at First Bank sort of led you to starting up in the scene as to what it is today in terms of sort of noticing that gap with credit infrastructure and, you know, that big sort of consumer lending space that is, you know, always at the top of town in Africa in terms of like, you know, there's no lending, there's no credit. But, you know, why did you sort of like hold in on that particular problem and why did you think that you were going to be the person to fix it or you were the right person to fix it? 
Yeah, it's a very good question. And you're right, the motivation came from the experience of the bank. And there's two sides to it. While I was in the bank, I also started doing some angel investments and advisory. And this was very early days of, you know, our tech ecosystem, you know. So did some advisory and angel investments in tech startups, right? You know, because I have the technical background and so I could kind of appreciate the work that they were doing. But a lot of motivation did come from, you know, my experience at the bank. You know, I could appreciate the challenges that banks face in serving retail consumers, right? You know, there's just a lot of structural barriers that have just limited who they can reach, you know. And then towards the end of my time, you know, digital banking, digital finance started becoming a thing. And because of my technical background, I could immediately see how technology can play a big role in bridging this gap. And, you know, to be very honest, I mean, the whole idea of let me just, you know, go and do the startup thing wasn't always the first option, right? You know, it was, you know, within the bank, let me try to convince the bank, you know, to do more in terms of adopting technology and, you know, really going full steam in terms of digital financial services to close this gap because it was a huge gap and like I said there were just some structural challenges that just made it very hard for you know the bank's current model to be able to reach these customers and you know there was some successes not as much as I would have liked and so when it was time to leave the bank I actually thought look you know I would do more angel investments and advisory because that's another way to help out because now the ecosystem had really grown there was a lot of these startups out there but I guess there was an itch in terms of just being hands-on and being a builder and that's why I decided to just kind of jump right in but the primary motivation I mean just being able to see the problem, you know, came from that experience within the bank. And to some extent, even the solution, you know, came from that. And so that's something that, you know, was very important. That's just that domain knowledge and just being able to kind of see things firsthand. How did you know exactly when you felt it was time to sort of jump ship? How long had you already been at the bank? And, you know, when was that time when you were like, okay, it's time for me to do something else and it's going to be a startup? Good question. It was very interesting. I didn't want to get to that 10-year mark. So I think I was like 9.5, 9.8 years. (laughs) But it was almost a decade. And, you know, it was a great experience. You know, the story of First Bank, the size and the scale, you know, the kind of problems that we're trying to solve, you know, there are very few institutions, you know, that give you that experience. So I was very grateful for that, right, you know. And we have solved some of kind of the biggest, you know, structural problems, right, you know. And like I said, you know, on the side, I was doing this kind of angel investment, you know, looking at how the technical system would be, right, you know. you just get to a point where he says, look, you've done a lot of the hard problems. You solved a lot of the challenging problems, you know, and, you know, you just want to be able to do a little bit more. And like I said, there was also something around, look, a lot of these structural challenges that these banks have in terms of, you know, serving, you know, retail consumers. And you just kind of, you know, trying to make the case of, look, we need to do this, we need to come up with this product and just kind of hitting a brick wall, right? You know, some of that frustration starts set in. So I think when you put all of that together, that's kind of culminated into, look, you know, I think my time here is done. And like I said, the whole thing about, you know, look, let me just jump right into a startup. That, that was in the first place. It was, okay, let's do more angel investments and advisory. Uh-huh. But for me, in terms of my career, I mean, I've done the, you know, software engineering coding thing. I've done the strategy thing. And, you know, one of the things that you find with strategy people is that, you know, they get, there's a lot of kind of, you know, consulting and advisory. And some of us just kind of get the itch to say, look, let me just go kind of, you know, build something myself. Okay, that's really interesting. And something that stood out to me is that, you know what, sometimes you hear founders speaking about their experience building their companies. And, you know, a lot of people especially in the tech startup space, are like super green, you know, fresh out of school, they jump right in and, you know, people say, oh, if I knew what I knew, then I may not have had the courage to start. As opposed to you who had sort of had a lot of experience in the field which you were starting a company in and, you know, you had, you know, also sort of been around Africa and led teams in Africa. But actually, I'm curious if you felt that was a disadvantage to you in any way because, you know, not having that naivety and that like, you know, I guess, I don't even know what to call it, you know, just jumping into building a company, you know, with fresh eyes, coming from a very structured environment, 
you know, where you have teams and you have so much resources and so many people. What was that, what was that transition like for you? It's an interesting opinion, and I think there are pros and cons to it. I mean, I, I wouldn't kind of trade my domain knowledge for anything, because when you think about financial services, and I'm very bullish on fintech and, you know, the power that, you know, it has in terms of solving a lot of problems, right? You know, I think, you know, it's, it's not going away certainly, right? You know, but with financial services, one thing about financial services is that, you know, it's heavily regulated, right? You know, you think about kind of compliance and control and regulation, right? And rightfully so. You know, you're dealing with kind of you know, people's finances and their money and their wealth and whatnot. So you need to be kind of, you know, there's an argument to say that you need to be conservative and prudent, right? You know, but you would never appreciate that if you've never been inside of a bank, right? You know, so for me, I appreciate that domain knowledge. But there's also kind of, you know, the advantage is just being green and not just having, you know, quote unquote, that baggage and just being able to just kind of go at it in terms of developing products. And one thing with my team right now, when I look at us, right, you know, one thing that, you know, I made early, I decided early on is that, you know, there wasn't going to be any kind of bias for people that had domain knowledge, right? You know, I certainly had it, I had it, and, you know, it, it makes sense to kind of, you know, populate the team that way. So what you found was just a lot of people that, you know, no financial, ex, no, you know, banking experience or financial services experience, just people that understood tech and then there's your product, right? You know, and some of that other stuff you can teach. So there's definitely pros and cons to it. I think my domain knowledge helps because, like I said, financial services is, is very regulated, uh-huh. right? And rightfully so. And so you need to have that appreciation of it. But you also need kind of people with fresh eyes, you know, just kind of looking at the problem and designing the solution. Uh-huh. So let's walk back a bit to you building this company. How did you sort of find your co-founder? How did you decide who they were going to be and that they were the appropriate people to work with? So in terms of the co-founders, there's four of us. My first co-founders, we were angel investors in Adela together. And so we just kept in touch over the years, you know, just kind of, you know, did more angel investments over the years and just kind of, you know, just became close and whatnot. So that was my first co-founder. And when, when I started kind of molding even the bank and whatnot, you know, I always say he did the wrong thing about encouraging me to you know, to jump into this, you know, startup business. <laughs> so, so it was both of us, right? You know, in terms of our backgrounds, very similar technical backgrounds, and then moved into financial services. But you're running a tech startup, you know, none of us had, you know, written a line of code in a long time. And so while we knew that, okay, yes, we're going to do this, we had circled around kind of the problem and what form the solution to come up with. We then needed to find kind of, you know, two more important people. One was the CTO, right? You know, with any tech startup, you know, that's an important pillar. And the other one too, in our, in our case, was a chief data scientist because we're also very clear that the solutions we're going to build, there was going to be a lot of applications of financial analytics, applying kind of machine learning and AI. And that skill sets, you know, I just knew that, you know, it was important that was going to be kind of our value add. And so we had some kind of starts and stops, but we ended up kind of, you know, just from our network meeting, you know, our other two co-founders, you know, Jacob is on the call, he's our CTO, and Carlos is actually data scientist. Stage and you know just you know, just working and grinding at it. So I wanted to know in deciding sort of what your product was going to be or what you were going to offer, having been in that space and seen the problem with lending and credit, why did you decide not to be the lender yourselves? Because from what I understand, you know you provide the technology and sort of the data and you know everything around helping financial companies who are lending to make the right credit decisions, right? To decide who to lend to and how to get how to understand the data from the customers for who would actually pay it back and things like that. So why did you decide not to, like, not to be the lender yourself? It was my first bank experience. When you're in the bank, you realize, like I said, you know, 
very bullish on fintech and you know it's we're probably just barely scratching the surface in terms of the solutions that are going to come up but i also know that you know with the banks they're just kind of certain advantages that they have and i wasn't convinced that you could replicate that in fintech you know again not to get too technical you can't raise money cheaper than a bank right so being able to kind of raise you know, cheap deposits to be able to lend that profitably, that's tough if you're not a bank. So it was very clear to me that that balance sheet play, just being a banker, being a digital lender was, you know, wasn't a model that, you know, we're going to adopt. But the second part of it as well is also the belief that that infrastructure layer is also a huge market, right? You know, when you think about digital financial services, right, you know, I mean, a lot of industries have been digitized. And one of the byproducts of that is just a huge data exhaust, right? And you come to a point where data is almost a commodity, right? You know, and so the value now becomes the real-time analytics you can get from it. So being that analytics layer, that infrastructure layer is still a huge market, right? You know, well, yeah, the direct answer to that question is just from my first bank experience, I just knew uh-huh. that there's an advantage that bank has and it's tough to replicate that. And so your startup basically being B2B versus B2C, you know, what challenges do you find with that and what advantages do you also think, you know, you have? The biggest challenge with B2B is, and for us, we also sell into enterprises, right? You know, people like my former employer, right? It's the long sales cycle, right? You know, so that's one thing. And then when you're thinking about B2B, everything around kind of product engineering and even marketing is different, right? You know, versus kind of B2C. But the other thing too with us that's even a bit unique is that, you know, it's almost kind of a B2B2C, right? Because yes, we're B2B, right? But our solutions enable, you know, our business customers to be able to serve their consumers, you know, easier, right? You know, so we always have to keep an eye on that kind of, you know, last mile, so to speak. But the biggest thing with kind of B2B is, you know, there's some implications on kind of, you know, sales cycles, they're longer and, you know, as a product and engineering is built and even data marketing. And as a CEO of the company, well, first of all, I wanted to know why did you, how did you decide to take the role as CEO? Just sort of how your role cuts across the whole organization. How do you figure out, you know, what to prioritize and when? Good question. You know, like I said, Yemi and I were the first co-founders. I mean, I think it just kind of happened, right? You know, I had you know, the deepest domain knowledge in terms of banking, you know, I also happen, he, he, he spent some time in the U.S. as well, so I was also closer to the market. So I guess it was just kind of natural that, you know, I was going to lead this thing, you know. Sorry, I'm not supposed to say that part of your question. I was asking in terms of your role on a day-to-day basis, how oh, do you yes, determine yes. what you prioritize? So for me, you know, the short answer to that question is really kind of, you know, what I'm good at, you know, what my strengths lie, and, you know, hopefully with... You know, with startups, when you have, you know, your founding teams, you know, you know, people are specializing, right? You know, so you have a CTO and, you know, Jacob is great at what he does. He used to work at a bank. He understands, you know, fintech, you know, so you could almost kind of leave him on his own to just kind of, you know, you know, run the engineering, right? And he does that very well, right? You know, Carlos, actually, data scientist, you know, I mean, he knows a lot more than I do about machine learning models and what they do. And for me, my strength is just around kind of product, right? You know, because, you know, being able to, you know, appreciate the problem, articulate the problem and what the solution should look like. Also having, you know, the, the knowledge of kind of the African market and whatnot. And, you know, sales and business development is also something that I keep an eye on because at the end of the day, you exist to kind of, create value, right? You know, be able to sell, you know, create value to your customers, right? So that's also something that I keep my eye on. So day to day in terms of, you know, how things are, you know, how I try to structure my day is to ensure that, okay, you know, things like kind of product and sales, what's happening with that. And, you know, every so often you kind of check in and say, okay, look, I'm doing on the engineering side, you know, do they do they need my help? And of course, as things grow, you put people in, you know, you put people in. Okay. And I want to talk about your first hire. So obviously, the first thing you're going to do once you guys sort of hit the ground running is building 
out your team and how did you decide how you were going to go about that and what was your priority for your first hire? So beyond the founding team, right, you know, because as we as the founders, I mean, it's just us for a long time, right, because you're running lean and, and I know we're going to talk about fundraising and whatnot, right, you know, but you're running lean and you guys are really doing everything, right, you know. So in terms of kind of when you start to kind of, you know, get a little bit more resources and look into, you know, what you would expand first, for us, it was more on the engineering side, right, you know, because, you know, we build all our tech in-house, right? You know, and for, for a lot of, you know, tech startups, your kind of your technical and engineering teams are, you know, they form, you know, the bulk of the team, right? So a lot of first hires are just kind of, you know, the first backend engineer, the first front-end engineer. And the reason why is that, again, because, you know, I understood kind of product. I was also doing sales. You know, this is B2B. It's relying a lot of my personal relationship. I could do that, you know, by myself, you know, for a little while longer, right? You know, so that's how you kind of make the decision. You just kind of prioritize and say, you know, where are the resources that you have, which are not very much, you know, where would they be best deployed? I'm glad you brought up money because I was going to go into that next. When you guys got together and you decided this is what you're going to do and you're going to build it, you know, that first source of, pool of funds or money where did that come from did you guys just sort of put your money together and start or did you immediately sort of raise money from you know family and friends or you know where did your first pool of money come from I mean, first, technically, technically, first kind of, you know, dollar was, you know, between kind of giving it myself. But beyond that, you know, you know, starting to raise funds. Remember, I said that, you know, while I was in the bank, I was doing some angel investments in, you know, the tech space. And so, you know, Yemi and I were already part of kind of an informal angel investment group, right? And so they're the first people we get up, right? You know, it's just like, okay, the pitch deck is not my own. It's not the one that we got from, you know, I mixed it founder, right? You know, so you start with that network first, right? And that was where, you know, kind of, you know, the early rounds came from. Okay, and so you, you guys have gone together, you've put together money, you've sort of started building this product, you're, you know, building out the idea. How do you get your first client? How did that happen? And how did yeah, that happen? It happened very early on. In fact, almost before you even have a product. Um, and it's my personal network, right? Because I've been in the bank a long time, you know, I knew the industry, I knew the players, I knew, you know, which ones were kind of most likely to kind of, you know, give me a meeting and listen to me. And so just stumbled on a friend that, you know, was leading one of the customers and, you know, was able to, you know, talk into trying out solutions. So that's how the first customer came from, just reading from personal networks. Mm-hmm. And between when you first started, I think, which is 2018, and now, can you just talk a little bit about, you know, sort of your business growth? Whatever you feel comfortable sharing is okay. So in terms of, if you want to talk about your business volume, maybe how many customers you have, like from, from the start till now, mm-hmm. um, you know, your team, how your team has grown, just general growth has happened in those years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just kind of just three key metrics that, you know, just really illustrate how far we've come. I think, you know, today we're at about 40 full-time employees, you know, across kind of, you know, six different cities in the world. We have approximately 100 customers, and these include banks, they include non-bank lenders and they include startups. And we have customers, you know, in, in two African markets, you know, kind of West and East Africa. And so for a B2B fintech like ours, you know, it just really shows, you know, how far we've come. That's great. And I put a pin in when you get talking about, you know, starting off as an investor, because, you know, I'm curious as to how you being an investor yourself, I suppose, in the early stages of many tech companies and at the point where you are now, you know, running a startup and you're raising money, how that influenced sort of how you went about raising money. And then I just want to also know about your fundraising journey as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, being on the other side was helpful because 
as an angel investor, you know, you see all these pitch decks and, you know, you're trying to make a case of, look, where's the best place to put this, my $1, right, you know? And so, but that really, you know, that really helps, right? Because you have that hat on, right, you know? So for me, in terms of, you know, fundraising, you know, at the end of the day, if you take a step back and, you know, let's assume we're talking the world of kind of, you know, venture funded, you know, technology startups, right, you know, you're really selling an outcome, right, you know, to, to an investor. A lot of these VC funds, I mean, I mean, any fund out there have also gone and raised money, and they have a mandate to generate, you know, a return, you know. And so for me, it's really to say that, look, how do you sell them that outcome, right? Why is this problem big enough, right? Why is it important enough, right? Why is your solution the right one? Why is your team the right one? And most importantly, everything really boils down to how are you going to get to this massive outcome, you know, with a certain amount of time, right, you know. And so being able to kind of, you know, have that experience of, you know, being an investor yourself and, you know, can go and ask these questions, you then know kind of, you know, what to prepare for and how to prepare for that. So it makes Right, you know, good and bad, right, you know. But it makes it a little bit easier when you've been on the other side and you kind of know what to expect. And can you tell us how much your company has raised so far? So we've actually raised a few million dollars, but although one a small portion of that has been announced, right? So Okay. Well thanks for sharing with us. <laughs> and I just in terms of you know, for anyone who's listening who may be raising or, you know, wants to be a founder, just talk about just a little bit on how to manage that process with you know, navigating fundraising and speaking to investors and just what they should be thinking about and what they should be sort of, I guess, the important things to include maybe with their pitching. <laughs> so it's a good question. And again, it's, it's a grueling process. It's a long process. You're talking to a lot of people. You're going to get a lot of no's, right? Even the best of them out there, right? You're going to get a lot of no's. And so, you know, just having that in mind as you're talking to people. But like I said, I think the primary thing is that, you know, you're selling an outcome, right? You know, you're talking about the problem, why it's big enough, why the solution is the right one, why you are the right person, right? You know, and so you're convincing this person to to make a bet on you because you can generate, you know, a massive outcome, right, you know. And again, I kind of sounds a bit boilerplate and whatnot, but it is true, right, but it's just being able to kind of, you know, be able to, you know, sell that, you know, very well, right, you know. One of the other things I always want to mention is that, you know, people forget that, you know, you have to convince yourself first, right, because, you know, for me, I was a bank, you know, I was there a long time, I was pretty senior, I could have stayed there and whatnot. But you are like the first person you have to convince that, you know what, I can do this, right? I have spotted this problem, right? You know, I know what the solution is and I'm going to go out there and do it, you know? And so you never want to discount even just that moment on its own, right? You know, because it's all of that you take into the pitches, you know, to convince this person that, look, the reason why you have to write me a check is because I'm going to deliver this massive outcome, right? You know, so just never forget that, you know, you have to convince yourself first, you know, otherwise you wouldn't be doing this, right? I mean, it's not the easiest of rules, it's not the easiest of journeys, right? But you've decided you wanted to do it, and there's a belief that you have in yourself, right? You know, you know. so I always try to tell people that, you know, don't park that aside when you're in front of the question. Thanks for that. I'm just curious, you know, going from being pretty high up, obviously, in the bank to sort of, you know, becoming an entrepreneur and starting up your own company, was that a sort of a steep pay cut for you in the beginning, and how did you navigate that? Yes, there was a bit of a pay cut. But, I mean, in terms of navigating it, I mean, maybe a few months before I left the bank, I already knew that, okay, look, I'm going to leave and do this. And so you start, you know, kind of saving up, so to speak. You know, you have your budget and you say, okay, look, you know, I'm going to need, you know, X amount. So let's assume, you know, revenue comes in for, for a bit. And even when, you know, I left the bank and, you know, started to be seen, uh, I mean, at some point in time, even when you raise kind of your first, you know, piece of funding, you know, there's a time I didn't have a salary. There's a bit of planning that you should do, you know, in terms of, 
because you're going to run for a while. You know, you haven't sold anything yet, right? You know, and like I said, even when the funding comes in, right? You know, even if you're going to give yourself a salary, it might not be market because you know you're trying to kind of manage resources. But a lot of that is just really just you know just being able to plan and being flexible enough in that planning to know that look, you know, it might take longer to get you know the first you know set of revenues. Okay, thanks for answering that. So it's very clear how your experience in financial strategy and first bank obviously contributed to how you developed your startup and your experience and all of that. Can you speak a little bit to how it shaped you as a leader and, you know, how did that lend to how you sort of built, you know, the culture within your own organization? Yeah, that's one of the biggest, you know, highlights, if I will. You know, you quickly realize, I mean, I mean not that it's not, it's not obvious, but you quickly realize that you, you can't do everything yourself. And I mean practically, right, you know, because there's a ton to do, right? Product has to be developed, code has to be written, you know, customers have to be found, customers have to be sold to, you know, customers have to be supported, right, you know. And so in building the team, you know, when you have that appreciation, you just, then you have a great appreciation for, you know, people that join the team and, you know, kind of join the cause to, to help out, right, you know. And so for me, that was kind of, you know, a big light bulb moment. It's, you, know, I, you know, I'm very hands-on in what I do. And like I said, because I have a technical background, I have an opinion around kind of engineering and whatnot. I have an opinion around kind of product. I have an opinion about the market. But you can't kind of physically do everything yourself, right? You know, so that kind of informs kind of how you appreciate the team, right? The other thing, too, is that, you know, so yes, you're very senior at First Bank and you, know, you have all these resources you can hire and we get a budget. But now you're a startup, right? And, you know, People always think, well, you just have to pitch to investors to fundraise. But you also have to pitch to people to come join you. Like, why should they leave whatever it is they're doing, their jobs or whatnot, and come join you on this mission that you're not even sure is always going to succeed, right? You know, so there's some pitching that goes on. And, and for me, again, you know, it's a bit of a humbling experience, but, you know, I do mind having to do that, you know, sit across from, you know, kind of a young developer and say, hey, look, come join us in your job. This is what we're doing. It's exciting that you do this, this and the other. So that's another thing in terms of the team dynamic, right? You know, you're really also pitching to these people to kind of, you know, join the mission and, you know, come, come help you on this journey. And when you reflect on sort of the journey so far in building what you've built to date, what are some of the inflection points that, you know, kind of stand out for you in terms of, you know, for example, it would be the first time you actually launched the product or you got your first customer or that first sale or that first hire or you know when that first investor gave you a check and you felt you know somebody else actually believed in what you were doing like what are those i guess highs that sort of still stand out to you till today yeah one important one and it happened early in fact you know remember i said myself and him were the first co-founders and you know we knew we needed a cto and a chief data scientist and we found somebody that you know could be the data scientist and i mean it's a long story but the person kind of quit on us last minute. I mean, kind of quit on the Sunday of, you know, next day, Monday, I had a presentation with a client and I was supposed to show them something, right? You know, it was a bit of an existential crisis. And, but being able to overcome that was for me like an inflection point. And, you know, I, I still kind of talk about it now because again, with startups, it's, you know, it's very eventful. The highs, the lows, and, you know, you're just trying to survive. And literally, that was one moment. I mean, I left the bank, right? You know, so this was like, you know, you need to be personal going back. Like I said, we had gotten the first client, and, you know, it's literally had them into the money to make sure there's something to sign it, and this happens. But we survived it, right? I mean, I figured something out, right? You know, and so kind of, you know, a few months later, when we did sign with the client and they signed on, and of course, you use that to bring on the clients, you know, you just realize that, okay, look, you survived this, right? You know? And for me, it always sticks out in the story, right? You know, because. You know, today anything happens, right? You know, you lose a client or key employees says they're going to leave, right? It doesn't sting as much. 
because you know that look, you survived that first one, right? You know that was an existential crisis. That's those are the things that kind of you know kill startups at that at that stage. So for me, that is always kind of an event that I'm proud that we overcame. And when you are growing your company, I guess at what point for you did you sort of figure out it's time for us to get outside funding? Because I find that that is something you know you hear a lot of founders talk about, like. Sometimes you raise too early. Sometimes you know you waited too late. Like, what, what was that point for you and for your company specifically, where you thought it's time for us to raise money? Well, you know, because I'd you know been an angel investor and I had kind of visibility into kind of you know other startups that you know had been a part of the early stage and whatnot. You know, you kind of have that kind of reference point in terms of oh, okay, this is how they did it, right? You know, they started raising at this point and they raised the first hundred and they got to this point and then they raised the next one, right? You know, so I did have that vantage point. You know, like I said, you know, the very first kind of dollar, you know, was the I personal funds, right? But because we also knew that you know things are going to move so fast and you're going to kind of burn through that fast, right? You know, it was like okay, look, let's start to put a pitch deck together right now and start to have those conversations. And even now, right? You know, with fundraising, you know, like like I said, you're always kind of selling, right? So you're always having the conversations, right? You know, because the idea is that I think, you know, the metric is that, you know, you need to start the fundraising kind of six months before you kind of run out of, run out of cash, right? But a lot of it is just kind of just basic planning, right? You know, how much you have in the bank, how much are you spending, you know, on a daily and a monthly basis and just keep your eye on it and say, that oh, I need to make sure the funding comes in, you know, before all of that dries up. So a lot of it is just really about, you know, just planning and just knowing that, you know, fundraising itself is just kind of a long journey. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, everyone knows building a business in Nigeria is really challenging. What are some of the challenges you've come across and, you know, sort of how have you overcome them? I mean, the operations is, in Nigeria is, you know, that's one of the things, right? I mean, simple things like, you know, people can't get into the office because they're stuck in traffic or, you know, there's no internet or power in the office, things like that, right? You know, you know, so all of that, you know, we all, we all face it, right? You know, and, you know, the ecosystem is great and there, you know, the structures that people are building to help to ease that. Another thing too, you know, separate from that is in terms of kind of the solutions we're selling, right? You know, again, you know, kind of one of the first applications of kind of machine learning and, you know, financial analytics, you know, and having to kind of, you know, take that to an enterprise um, you know, find like a bank to convince them that, hey, look, you need to adopt this to be able to do this, that, and the other, or even some of the other clients, right, you know. You find that, you know, for us, we found that, you know, there was a lot of kind of, you know, customer education that had to go with, you know, just simply, you know, just, just selling the product, right, you know. The good thing is that, you know, at that point in time, you know, people were already kind of aware of the technology and, you know, knew that they needed it, but there was still a little bit of, hey, you know, this is why it's important, you know, this is why you guys should be, you know, looking to adopt these and these things. In terms of, I guess, your company growth, where do you see yourself or where would you like to see yourself just in the next 10 years? I mean, over the next decade, I mean, if you take a step back and just even just look at the continent and look at the gap that we face, right, you know, even if you're just even looking at the consumer credit gap or like the economic inclusion, inclusion gap, you know, for us is to say that if you are that kind of financial analytics layer that everybody else is building on top of, that is a very powerful outcome. And that doesn't exist today. And so for me, my mind is to say that, you know, you have, you know, I mean, that infrastructure has to be built, right? You know, I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, they're just, when, when you kind of look at economies and whatnot, especially developed economies, like, you know, things like having kind of a, you know, thriving consumer credit, you know, industry just needs to be there, right? For you to get any kind of level of progress, right? You know, but that layer in terms of kind of, you know, analytics and whatnot is just missing, right? You know, we do have credit bureaus, but, you know, there's, there's limitations. So for me, it's very clear that that infrastructure needs to be built. For me, the vision is that in the seniors can build that. And for you, is this strongly an Africa play? Do you see the problem as a problem that goes beyond these borders or is, are you really focused on building solutions for Africa? 
it's a good question. I've seen the problem manifest in other regions. I mean, Carlos is Latin American, and, you know, we get to hear from him in terms of, you know, how their markets are. I mean, they're a bit more developed, but, you know, it's a problem still, you know, exists. But for now, of Africa is, you know, obviously the priority. You know, I know the market well. It's probably a bit of an emotional investment to ensuring that the problem, you know, is solved, you know, in this market first. And when you look on sort of your philosophy when it comes to the success of your business, what percentage do you think has been the actual product that you built and what percentage would you say has, you know, you attribute to sort of that marketing and sales kind of like going out and selling yourself? The question I would say is very dependent on a few things, right? You know, so if you're B2C, I mean, marketing is higher up, right? I mean, you probably know that better than I do, right? You know, if you're early stage, you know, you also really should be focused on ensuring that you have the right product, right? You know, so I think in answering that question, right, you know, it's to say that in the early stage, you know, you know, product alone can be 100%, right? You know, there's no meaningful outcome if you're perfectly executed on the wrong product or if you have fantastic marketing for the wrong product. You're just entertaining people in that sense, right? So, so assuming the product is kind of the right one, I would say maybe the mix is kind of, you know, 40, 30, 50, right? You know, so product marketing execution, right? You know, if you have, you know, the right product, right? You know, execution is always very important in making sure that, you know, you're providing people with, you know, good enough solution, and then marketing, you know, is always is important because people have to know about it, right? But that's kind of how I would apportion the um, the importance. Mm. And you know, I sort of like talking about failure just because I feel like it's something that it's not normalized, right? People always talk about how successful and how great and how you know things are built and this and that. You know, but in your journey, have there been moments where you you know you felt was like a really low moment in your entrepreneurial journey, or a moment where you thought like Am I failing or have I failed? And, you know, how did you sort of just move past that? That's if you've had that moment in your journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, certainly just In fact, I keep a folder. I think the last time I glanced at it, there was probably like 50 subfolders. And it was just kind of like all the different ideas, right? You know, oh, I try to do this. And I try to buy a paper pack factory at some point in time. Then I try to buy a plastic factory at some point in time. And that didn't work out, so... But like I said, I, I give a folder and the last time I glanced at it, it was just kind of all these subfoldings, right, you know, so. But you just kind of keep moving on, right, you know, and you're grateful for the opportunity to kind of still be around and, you know, kind of laugh at all those folders. And just for yourself as a founder, what is the one skill you found that you sort of realized you had that surprised you? Or that you okay. that surprised you? Yeah. yeah, yeah, because I've never in my career before this, I've never you know, be in a formal sales role, right, you know. But sales are important, right, you know. I mean, yes, there's this problem. Yes, there's a solution that you build, but you have to be able to find somebody that can pay you enough for it. So I think I really surprised myself in terms of my ability to kind of sit in front of a customer and convince them to give me money for something that we built. Well, sales are always a good really skill to have. So if someone is listening today and they're sort of scared to take that first step to maybe starting a company or launching something they think it's going to fail or they're not qualified enough or they don't have enough knowledge, you know, what advice do you have for that person say? Yeah, there are a lot of kind of, you know, soft landings nowadays, right, you know, you know, like I said, you know, while I was a bank, right, you know, I had my full-time job and I was also doing this kind of angel advisory type of thing, right, you know, and so that was kind of, you know, an easier transition into kind of, you know, being a founder than just kind of jumping at it along, right, you know, and now with, you know, our ecosystem just, you know, kind of big as it is, right, and developed as it is right now, there's a lot of opportunities to, you know, one is even say, okay, look, you know, I want to get the bank on my first startup, right, you know, let me see what it looks like, right, you know, or I want to, you know, be an advisor. Or, or even an investor, right, you know. So that would be kind of the advice that I would give, that, you know, just kind of find some of these kind of low-risk opportunities to really get to see, you know, how things work and how things function, right, you know. 
And that's a good way to kind of, you know, build your confidence about, you know, your ability to write it alone. Mm. And just, just in terms of your journey, do you think being a solo sort of founder versus having co-founders, what would you recommend? I would recommend co-founders because, and for me, it wasn't, I wouldn't even say it was a choice because, I mean, there was just certain things that, you know, need to be done that I just basically could not do, right, you know, so you need somebody else, you know, to be able to, you know, fill in that role, right, you know, um, and the other thing too is that, again, this is kind of, you know, a long, arduous journey, right, you know, so it always really helps if there's just more than one of you, but for me, it wasn't really a choice, right, to just, I needed to have somebody in that kind of CTO role or chief data scientist role. Well, thank you so much for joining and thank you for answering questions and sort of sharing your journey with us and being so open with your answers. Everyone who is listening, this happens monthly. So watch out for who we are going to be speaking with next month. Yvonne, if you want to say any closing sort of statement, you can go ahead. No, no, no. Thank you so much for having me. Really had a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, everyone.